episode of small doses. I've really been thinking about this episode for quite some time. Uh, you know, just in particular because of COVID and, you know, the uprisings and the ways in which those two things have particularly had an impact on what we call community. You know, for me, community is one of those things that exists in a real way. And I think for other people, it's kind of like a buzzword. When I would go to Grenada and I would go to the village where my mother is from in Mung Morris, you know, there was community, like people knew each other's family for, you know, generations. People, you know, would go and borrow things from each other. Put it this way. There's no house numbers. You just literally just put on the, on the mail, the person's last name and the mailman delivers it to you. So there was always just this sense of community. And it's, and listen, let me tell you, that doesn't mean that everybody gets along all the time. That doesn't mean that there aren't still like shitty, shady people. But what it does mean is that there's a consistent value system that understands that when we work together, we win together. And then that, I think, I, I think I have a kind of a unique experience with that also because I'm from somebody that's from an island you know, and, and that person grew up in a space beyond just her village, but in an island, like if shit gets fucked up, there's no other place to go. Like y'all just got to figure it out. So when, you know, you would have hurricanes and all of these things, yeah, they can bring materials on boats, but until then there's no one to rely on, but us. And that island in a real way it's something that a lot of people, you know, in America, I feel like haven't experienced in a real way. Now, some of us are our own island in quotes, but a lot of people in this country, I believe, are operating in that way in terms of their own success, in terms of how they identify elevation and advancement. They think that they are an island of one. And I want to talk about that. I want to talk about, you know, what the benefits are of, of considering community. And I want to talk about what you guys yourselves are doing to advance the application of community in your surroundings. Let's get into it. Jam dropping. Jam dropping. Jam dropping. We're dropping on these hoes. Today's gem drop is community versus society. Now, of course, there are like dictionary definitions of both of these words, but I'm going to talk about it from my own point of view, my own view. Society is a gathering of people that live amongst each other. Community is a gathering of people that live amongst each other, understanding that they're in it together. The nuance in this is that you can be in a society without being a part of any community. However, if you're in a community, you're a part of a society. And I think a lot of people misnomer that. They misnomer society for a community. And that is simply just not always the case. Like people will be like, yeah, you know, it's just, I'm just a part of society. And, you know, as, part of, as members of society, we need to da 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 And I just feel like where we get tripped up is that there's like certain obligations and responsibilities that I feel like you do uphold as a member of society, just as a member of like being in space with another person. For instance, like riding the train in New York. Like, 
when people would get on the train in New York with like crazy loud music, I'm like, yo, fam, we're in a society. Like you're not here by yourself. So like respect that, you know? Now in a community, they may play that loud music because they know that that music is representative of that community and therefore everyone's going to join in. Hence block parties. This is why gentrification, it, for many reasons, gentrification is problematic. But one of the main reasons for me is because gentrification breaks up community. Gentrification uses economic elevation as a means to disempower the strength of communities. And how do you do that? In a number of different ways. But you just see it in even the smallest of ways, how like people will come in. And because they had the money to be there, they feel like they can now dictate how the community exists amongst each other. Oh, that music is too loud. Oh, that food smells this way. Oh, those kids shouldn't be able to play here. You know, they just start disassembling that, which by the way, is what white people have made a practice of for centuries. Your little community, fuck your community. It's mine now and I got money. And I believe strongly that society has become so rooted in money that it's really just taking the balls and the guts and the goodness out of why community is so much more valuable than just individual dollars. Society to me is becoming a bunch of individuals who have money or are seeking money as the goal. And I want to be a part of community that seeks elevation. And by the way, elevation is not just money-based. And I think, you know, that's when people come with this whole, like, are you socialist? Are you communist? Are you this and this and that or that? I just believe that everyone should have access to the same resources. What you do with that is up to you. And we do not have that. And I feel like if you're somebody who's been able to advance, then it is within your expectations to be a part of supporting that part of your community that didn't have the ability to advance. Now, I'm not saying you got to be the sole provider. Sole provider. No. But I do feel like it's just a part of the whole, like, you get up, you reach back. That's it. But that's what I was taught. And unfortunately, I don't think enough people have been taught that. And so we've got a whole society that in many ways doesn't understand how valuable community is. So when it comes down to it, you got to ask yourself, where does community lie to you? What does it mean to you? Where do you feel like you fit in society or fit in your community? And if you don't have a community, do you feel like you want to be a part of a community? And how do you feel like you can achieve that type of connectivity? Because I know a lot of us, we want that, but then we have like a fear that holds us back. Maybe like a fear of acceptance or a fear of being misunderstood, et cetera. And unfortunately, like, well, no, not unfortunately. Fortunately, you have it within you to just, I guess, like identify spaces that would be open and receptive to you. This society, for all its whackness, has produced a number of beautiful communities that, for what it's worth, have made it their business to stand on the values of everybody's welcome here. All right, let's get into some DMTs. Excited to hear from you guys. 
What happens when your faith, belief system, and foundation is rooted in Christianity only to be disappointed by the latest hypocrisy in our social climate? I am so disgusted, but it's also caused me to question my own self-identity. And now it's hard to identify with my so-called community. I'm so lost because it was such a big part of who I am, but now my community is unrecognizable. Girl. That's how I feel about the black community right now. You know, and I think there's a certain naivete that we have around the fact that like such a vast, expansive space, whether it be the black community or the Christian community, would really be all on the same page. Within those macrocosms are in microcosms, you know, these small groups of people that have shared insight. And unfortunately, it just seems like right now, whether we're talking about the black community or the Christian community, and I, I need, need to make a point, point of putting it seems like, because I, I don't think I've polled enough people. I'm going to say it seems like there's such a greater amount of folks that are not sharing my values and to your point, not sharing your values than there are that do, which is 100% sobering and disenchanting. It's very disconcerting because like you said, you're very grounded in this and you've identified yourself by this for so long that to feel like you are just, you know, on the other side of a chasm can be very scary. So you know, for me, what I've been doing is one is making sure that I remember that oftentimes the ignorant speak the loudest. Two, identifying folks within my community that do have similar sentiments. So in your case, like Adrian Bailon. Adrian Bailon was on The Real the other day just talking about how hypocritical the Christian community is about this election and how the same people who will be like, I'll never vote for Biden because he's not pro-life, will vote for Trump, who is all about killing people. (laughs) Like, for all intents and purposes, because the resources that he takes away and the things that he supports are about seeing the death figuratively and literally of individuals that don't look like him. So, you know, she was talking about this and just her frustrations with it. And, you know, for what it's worth, I'll say this. I am not a Christian. I believe in a higher power, but I'm not a Christian. But I will say that the Christians that I do know that really are rooted in their faith, they identify their faith not by the others who do, but by their own relationship with God and by their own relationship with Jesus Christ. So your Christianity is not based on your community of Christians. It's based on your relationship with God. Now, maybe you had a Christian community in addition to your own relationship with Jesus. But, you know, this is one of those lessons that you start to learn in life, which is how you stand your ground and how you remain true to self, even when everybody else is on some fuck shit. And I always say, like, you got to stick to your guns even when everybody else is pointed at you. Because for what it's worth, you don't know these people. You don't know them the full extent of their lives, as my mother would say. You You can't can't say it for nobody, nobody, eh? So who knows where their interests lie into why they are supporting things that are simply just not reflective of a true good Christian. I'm assuming since you follow me that, you know, and the way you would send this message that we have similar values, but I think for what it's worth, you may have been noticing this for quite some time. You know, it's not like this is the first time, but I think that we are in such a place of critical awareness that things that we were able to rationalize and kind of go along with within our communities for the last, you know, however long things are so dire right now that we can't let it slide. You can't because the stakes is high. 
Next question. How do you think America's capitalism-centered society has changed we into me? Well, I was just talking about that on the gem dropping. The capitalism-based society really says, like, you, you know, know what? what? I got to get, get it, it by any means necessary. necessary. And, you know, it creates this dog-eat-dog world that, for all intents and purposes, it's a catastrophe. It's a catastrophe. You know, and I don't necessarily think that capitalism has to be all bad, but I think that we have unconscious capitalism. We, you know, even this, the word capitalism, it's like I'm capitalizing on whatever I can get my hands on. You know, I'll see, I've had drug dealers say like, yeah, I'm a good person. You're killing your community. Unless you're selling weed, (laughs) you're killing your community, famo. Like cut the shit. And you know, and they'll sit there and tell you like, yeah, but no, you know, some people are fiends and they, so they need it because they're going to get sick and, you know, they're going to get it from somebody else. I'm just like, no, what you're doing is simply just trying to find a way to make your capitalism make sense within your community. When people talk about advancement, like people will say like the black community is advancing, we're advancing. And it's like, you cannot base community advancement on individual growth, not in an economic way. I don't believe you can. I think that there are going to be anomalies and there are also going to be like individuals who find ways to rig the system, find ways to beat the system, find ways to avoid the system. But those are all based on individual merit or not even necessarily merit, but individual means and tactics. That's not related to them having access because they are a part of a community. That's not access being made available to the whole community. No. And that, that's the thing that really honestly scares me the most about this country and where it's going. Because that can't sustain. You cannot sustain with a society that's based on everybody just killing each other like we're stepping on each other or moving each other out the way. Like it's a crabs in the barrel scenario. So to your point, I do believe that America's capitalism center society has changed. We into me in a very deleterious fashion. And it's really about you personally changing your value system and creating community around that value system of the importance of community that I feel like works in challenging that. But it doesn't change the fact that that's the foundation of this country was built on. So in many ways, like it is what it is until as an entire nation, we decide it's not. I I believe that, which is why I feel so confident that I'm going to have to leave this place very soon if I want to keep my sanity and continue to grow creatively. Next question. How can we truly get everyone in the black community on the same agenda slash page? Like seriously, dot, dot, dot. You have all these chiefs saying, follow me, dot, dot, dot. I know the way, but there is no concrete agenda with actionable items. So it ends up feeling like you're trapped in a wind tunnel of hot air. Well, first off, let me say this. There are a couple agendas with with actionable items and they're put together by a variance of individuals. You know, like I know Alicia Garza and the Black Futures Lab, like they put together an agenda, you know, then you have... You know, the lift every voice agenda that Biden has and you got Ice Cube's little bullshit ass agenda. But my point, though, is that beyond those people, there are agendas in smaller spaces where people have been working within the local communities and creating agendas within those microcosms. And 
that's the ones that I feel like you have to really focus on the most because what you're asking for is a group that we constantly say, we're not a monolith to have an entire group think. And it's not going to happen. Now, in my mind, there should be a general consensus around like what is safe and what is not safe. Because like moral and immoral, like that's going to be subjective for people because some people is just trash. You know what I mean? And it's gone. They're trash people. But in terms of like, what is safe and what is not safe. Like to me, that is like such a much easier line to like draw. And we're not. The fact that there are black people that feel safe in this country with Trump as a leader is beyond my scope of comprehension. Like, and I mean, poor black people. <laughs> like, It's just beyond my scope of comprehension. I, I don't know how that makes any sense. And that's the stuff that'd be throwing me off. But I agree with you. Like, how can we get everybody on the same page, the same agenda? You know, we have all these chiefs. Well, let me tell you, if information, intellect, and compassion are not the main criteria for who is a leader, we find ourselves opening the door to so many folks who just have Wi-Fi. So I don't believe all Black people in this country will get on the same page because I also don't believe that we have the Black community in the way that we think we do. I think a lot of us consider a Black community as just Black people in America. But then you have so many versions of that that people have created. To some people, their Black community is only the Black people who are not trans. Then you have people who will say like, well, I don't have any LGBTQIA plus people in my community. So it's not even just trans. They're just like, I don't have none of those individuals. I don't even want to call them what they are because they don't have anything to do with my life. Like, So like this whole sect of people who are going to experience a shared experience that you have based on this whole race thing, you're like, nah, but they ain't a part of my community. Then you have people who are like, oh, my black community only consists of people who are the full-blooded descendants of slaves in America, of shadow slavery in America. Then you have people who are like, my black community doesn't consist of light-skinned black people. You name it, you know, you name it. There's so many asterisks that I think that people have put on what determines, you know, their black community that that to me completely takes the bottom out of what we are as a collective community. And I'm not sure if that's similar or different to other communities, but I think the fact that the quote unquote black community does not have a shared higher power that we are speaking to, you know, we, we don't have a shared spiritual leader. We don't have a shared goal. So like the spiritual leader of the Muslim community, it's like, it's Allah it's Muhammad. Because what that does, it creates kind of like a benchmark that, you know, you can meet that benchmark in any shape, way, or form that you come, but understand this is the benchmark that we're meeting if you down. We don't have that in the Black community. It's code. We don't got that. We don't have that. White community, greed. Greed is the benchmark. Greed. And, you know, when I say, like, there's white people and people who don't have to be white, like, it's because, like, there are hella people who have, you know, the skin that is associated with whiteness that do not align with that as their primary value. They don't. It doesn't even exist for them. Me and Rebecca and Brandon have been doing this show for damn near three years. I know for a fact that neither of them consider greed to be like the star on the Christmas tree. So I don't know if I'm having like a Malcolm, you know, Hajj going to Mecca experience, but I am with you, sis. Like we cannot get on the same page because we cannot seem to identify that regardless 
of our unique individual differences as Black people, we are still uniquely affected as a group of Black people. And thus, we are not making decisions based on community wellness. Many of us are making decisions based on their own individual experience. And that's where we end up in the biggest problem of them all. Because when we say we shall overcome, we don't have a shared thought process on what overcoming is. For many, overcoming is having the freedom to oppress as their oppressor. Last question. How do you build a community in a new environment, city or work? Well, I think, you know, you start with shared interests. That's really, to me, always been the best way to build community. You start with shared interest. You know, if you live in a building of people, well, you have a shared interest right there. We all in this fucking building. (laughs) So there's that, right? But then let's say you're a creative. You know, when people ask me for advice on like, how do I, you know, what do I do as a creative? I'm an artist or I'm an actor. I'm a director. I'm a producer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The one thing I always tell them is you got to find the other people doing what you do. And that becomes your community because you all have a shared interest in something that brings you together in a way that is unique amongst a society that you're in. And what happens when you do that is you all start to fend for each other and support each other and create spaces for each other. And that community can be as tight-knit or as loose as as you want it to be, but you have it. You know, as a comic, like to be a member of the comedian community, we are a unique space. And I never would have known about it until I became a comic, you know, for what it's worth. Like there's a lot of different comics. I talk about a lot of different things, but when a comic is in trouble, everyone comes together. It's, it's just, it's what it is. You know, when it's time to show up, comics show up for each other, period. I believe that's because we all know that if you take this route, you crazy and we need to support each other because we're crazy. So, you know, I think that's, the key component is finding a shared interest and community doesn't have to be a bunch of people. Some people think that it's not a community unless it's like, you know, 30 and up. No, your community can be three of you. It can be four of you. It's how you function that determines whether you're a community or just a bunch of people sitting around. This week's people I like is Erica Ford, the founder of Life Camp. Erica Ford has been a community organizer and activist in New York since I can remember. Like when I got to New York, she was already like knees deep into this work. And the reason I picked her for this week's people I like is because so much of like the work that she does is about not just working with communities, but empowering communities to work within each other. And I think that is really where true organizing finds its power by empowering other people to be empowered themselves and to empower each other. You know, there's, there's some that look at organizing and activism as like showing up and speaking and, you know, I said my shit and now I'm out, bye. But truthfully, the ones who really make the impact are those who become a part of the community for however long. And when they leave, that community is now stronger in its functionality as a community itself. That's what Erica does. You know, and Erica, she's been driving a van around New York, passing out condoms. Like, I think they were getting haircuts at one point, you know, uh, I think it was a mobile studio at another point, like just creating ways for people to see themselves in ways that they may not have 
before. And as an individual, she has become a staple in the, in the New York community in this way. And, you know, you don't have to be Erica Ford to be a staple in your community, right? And I think that's what a lot of people don't understand. Like, you don't have to have a nonprofit and, you know, you might be an introvert. You're like, I don't want to be talking to people every day, all day. Like, that's not my thing. There's other ways you can be a part of, you know, helping in your community. Like, I see people that are like TNR, people that do trap and release in their community. But what does that mean, Amanda? That means that, like, there's cats that live in your community that are hungry and that are having babies and that are creating like these feral colonies and they can be a pest in your community. How do you help that? You learn how to trap and release and you learn how to get these cats trapped and get them either spayed or neutered and return them to their colonies. And you are able to even feed and support these colonies in the way that makes them no longer a nuisance to your community. That's just like one of those things where it's like, that doesn't require you dealing with people in the same way. But Erica is so good with people. (laughs) It is incredible to me. Just her compassion and her ability to find connectivity with seemingly anybody and her just boundless amount of vision and of resource and of compassion for people without and for people with dreams. So take a look. Check out Erica Ford. She's been at it. She's going to continue to be at it. Erica is somebody who I believe will never retire uh, because the work is never done. That That one one time. time. (laughs) I don't feel like I ever really got to like live in like a neighborhood community until I moved to New York in Harlem. Like I've lived in dorms and I grew up in the burbs and, you know, like I was a gymnast. So I had like communities attached to the different activities that I was involved in. But in terms of my actual like residence, I feel like I had never truly experienced that in America until I moved to Harlem. And when I moved to Harlem, it also became incredibly important for me to have community as protection as a woman, because I realized very quickly that I'm new in town and, you know, there's all eyes on me, but I won't feel secure and protected until I have connectivity with people who have been here. And I distinctly remember, like, I was walking up the block and there was a dude that I had become just cool with because he was one of the dudes that never acted out. Like, he would say hello. He would be very polite. He would always say, hello, gorgeous. Hello, gorgeous. So eventually you just start chit-chatting, but he never, like, got at me. He never hollered at me in, like, a in a way that made me feel unsafe. And like niggas would like grab your arm and shit. When I would come out the train and see brothers like shooting dice, I would know like, okay, I'm going to cross on that side of the street because they're going to be focused on the money. The cats over here who are just standing on the block, that's That's a gauntlet. Don't even do it to yourself. So I remember walking up the block one time and there was these three dudes outside and they were just going at me so like, yo, what's up, shorty? Yo, yo. And then when I didn't respond to them, they were like, bitch, that. And they just started flipping on me. And then homeboy came out of the bodega and was like, yo, chill. She cool. And just like that, chill. And they never bothered me again. They never bothered me again. So my theory had been correct. And that happened again in Harlem, like on the other side of Amsterdam, where this this dude who I got cool with because when I moved to Harlem, I moved to Sugar Hill. My homeboy was helping me move in and he was a Harlem cat. And 
Joel Santana's brother was coming out of the bodega and they saw each other and they knew each other. And my homeboy was like, yo, this is my homegirl, Amanda. She just moved right here. You know what I'm saying? Like, just keep an eye on her. So Joel's brother, twin, who, by the way, is gorgeous. Let me say that on record. Joel's Santana's brother, twin, is fine as hell. And like very kind. Um, he's definitely treated me to some aro con pollo and amor y soñando. At, at a uh, Dominican restaurant. So, twin then turns to his boy and is like, yo, she live over here now. So whenever you see her, like, look out for her. His boy was like, got you. Y'all, I lived there for 12 years. And for those 12 years, your mans had me. There were several times where shit got sketchy and he was like, nah, chill. Nah, one time, like me and these dudes was like, like, and like, I don't know what I thought I was going to do. I don't know if I thought I was going to scrap or something, but me and this dude on the other side of the street was just going off. And remember I was on TV at the time. So then it started being this whole thing about like, oh, you know, like, um, you think you all like, cause you're on TV, bitch. Fuck you. You Hollywood bitch. Da, 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 da. Yo, pop came out and was like, nah, apologize. He made these fools apologize to me. Yo. And that made me, it made me just feel so much a part of the community that someone who was a mainstay, you know, was willing to integrate me into the community by letting them know, like, no, like she's of us. So don't, don't do that. And, and, you know, like it, there really is something to be said for when Cheers sucks about like, sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. I used to walk into Taco Bell and they'd be like, MTV. Now, of course, you know, MTV is not my name, but it's fine because they knew my order. A cheesy gordita crunch and a hard taco supreme. I didn't even have to give my order, y'all. When I would like throw in something else, they'd be like, oh, it's a fancy night. So, you know, you go into the bodega, like they know you, like the, the all the Arabic speakers in the bodega start teaching you different uh, Arabic phrases. And, you know, like that to me was, was a great experience because I had never experienced something like that because, you know, when you live in the burbs, you're kind of like, you, you can very easily just not interact with anybody, which is kind of similar in LA. And I also got to live in like an intrinsically black community. And that's what it was living in Harlem for 12 years. Like I was just surrounded by black folks of all different cultural backgrounds, living amongst each other, working together. And, you know, you have block parties. You got people who just sitting out on the block, you know, chilling. You have basketball tournaments. You know, you have funerals. You know, you have church. Like, you just start seeing all this. You have businesses come and go, and you support the businesses, you know. And it, and it really was very rich in so many other things outside of money. And that's why it's so important that we protect our communities, our cultural spaces, and understand that when you move into those spaces, even if you are not somebody who was born of that, that it's your responsibility to uphold it, not to disrupt it. The last dose. As we go into this next election, you know, I feel like there's a lot of disenchantment among a lot of us looking at, you know, just the, our peer groups and our colleagues and our family, et cetera, who may not share the same thoughts of how to protect our country and ourselves from, you know, going down a, a deleterious path. And it feels very lonely. It feels very lonely. It feels, it just feels confusing, I think, for a lot of us. 
And I want to just extend to everybody the importance of letting your community know where you stand and also that you stand with those who stand with you. We have to be more vocal in that way. This is not the time anymore to be a silent member of your community. This is the time to really be out here letting people know, being a beacon, you know, dropping a pin for folks on where y'all are at. That's why we created SFB Society. We created sfbsociety.com to be a community and a safe space for folks who have a shared interest in being about the Black community and doing so with a shared value of respect for each other. We don't have to agree on everything, but we're going to do so in a manner that is regarding of me seeing you as a part of me. And... I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that again. You know, I want to, I want to be a part of that in, in a real way. And I thought that's what I was going to get when I moved to Hollywood. And I was shocked beyond comprehension when I realized that that was simply not how black Hollywood operates, let alone Hollywood. Well, Hollywood, I wasn't surprised. But when black Hollywood showed me that that wasn't the case, I was like, oh, wow. But I think for a lot of us, America is showing us that that's not the case in a way that is just very wow. So let folks know where you are so they can find you so we can feel less wow. And we can feel more secure in knowing that we're not alone. And I also want you to know that community doesn't always have to be about like proximity. You know, there's spiritual community. There's, there's being able to know that we're on the same wavelength, even if we're not talking every day and even if we're not, you know, seeing each other every day or interacting with each other. But community is knowing that you got me and I got you. And we can do that from anywhere. Star Avenue, a, podca- <clears throat> a podcast network.